No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Lord God, we thank you for this time, and we just pray that you would quiet our hearts now to receive what you have for us this morning, that you would open our ears to hear from you, that you would uh, just open us up in a way where we are vulnerable to you, Lord, uh, that you could speak into our lives uh, words of hope, words of encouragement, words of love, words of mercy, and words of peace. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you can figure it out from uh, the worship team talking about me, <laughs> but, but somebody told them, and I think it's probably my wife Susan, that uh, my love language is words of affirmation. <laughs> so, so thank you very much. It was very uh, touching. It's very humbling. Um, I, I feel like there's, it's always necessary to say after people say nice things about me or to me that uh, also keep in mind that I'm just a person. <laughs> I'm, I'm on this stage. I'm like up, up here, but this is, this is only so you can see me. So don't, like put, don't put me any higher, all right? Uh, you have a Savior. Uh, Chapel on the Pines has a Savior. It's not Pastor John. Amen? You can amen that. Thank you. Uh, it's Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and we are going to focus on him uh, in the sermon here. And about five years ago, there's a movie that came out. I don't know if any of you saw it. It was called Risen, a uh, Christian movie. And it came out about five years ago. And um, what it is, is a story about Jesus of Nazareth but it's told from a little bit of a different perspective and in a way that can be a little refreshing sometimes. So it's a story of Jesus, but it's actually written as a way that's the story of a Roman soldier. And it's a story of a Roman soldier that uh, witnesses Jesus on the cross. And then um, it's been, been a little while since I've seen it, but how the story kind of goes is that this soldier is put in charge of figuring out what Jesus' disciples have done. So the, the assumption in the Roman mindset in the movie is that they have stolen the body of Christ and that they're now masquerading around saying that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. That, that's just kind of the assumption that, that the Roman military has. So they put this soldier in charge of trying to find out what happened to Jesus' body. Are they hiding it somewhere? Have they, have they moved it? Have they buried it somewhere else? Uh, the movie's called Risen. It's it's pretty good. Um, if you haven't seen it, it might be, might be worth a watch. But the reason I bring it up is I love this element of how it looks at something that we know. We know the story of Jesus through the Gospels. But just by changing the perspective, by seeing it in this different perspective of this Roman soldier, it, it kind of brings it to light in a different way. It, it reveals more uh, in our minds. And 
and just this idea of the perspective at which we look at something, whether it's uh, something in Scripture or just, or just something in our world, it changes how we experience it. Um, I didn't tell them I was going to say this, but a couple years ago, the Crawfords were so wonderful to have my family over to watch a playoff football game. Uh, and this playoff football game was the 49ers against the Minnesota Vikings. Right? And, and to some in the room, it was a wonderful game. <laughs> to some in their room, their team went off to play in the Super Bowl. And, and to others in the room, I will not name them, uh, their team did not. But perspective matters. Right? So, so was it a good game? People often ask that at the end of a game. Was it good? It was good to some of us. <laughs> But, but that's the reality of our world, right? We, we kind of look at things, we look at different things, and we judge only from our own lenses. We judge only from our own perspective, and, and we can kind of say, is it, is it good or not? So we have been going through the last several weeks uh, the book of Jonah. And Jonah is uh, it's a story about God, ultimately. It's a story about God and God's character. But we also learn a lot about Jonah. But I wonder how the story would be written if it was from the perspective of the Ninevite. Or if it was the perspective of the Ninevite king. Or if it was from the perspective of, of the pagan sailors that were on the boat with this runaway prophet. Right, All these stories in life uh, would look vastly different. So this is the last week in the sermon series on Jonah. Uh, last, last week, we went all the way through Jonah uh, chapter 4. This week, uh, we're going to focus on a little more on perspective of how we look at the book. And uh, just, just as a recap of how we're doing this this whole time, is we're looking at Jonah and recognizing that as we read the book, uh, there's things about Jonah, his character, how he behaves, how he acts, that lead us as the readers to... Um, almost start to kind of judge Jonah. What kind of prophet runs from God? Makes you wonder what's the qualifications of being a prophet. What, what kind of prophet runs from God and then is in, a, in the boat and, and all the people around him who, who are not supposed to be the religious people can see that God sends a storm and the prophet is blind to it? You know, what kind of prophet is this? What kind of prophet finally begrudgingly listens and goes and then, and then gives a five-word sermon. Um, I'm already way past five words. You know, up here, right? What, what kind of prophet is this? And the, the reason that, that the book does this to us is because as soon as we start asking these questions, as soon as we start to, to look at Jonah and, and think maybe we're better than him, a mirror turns on, and the book becomes not about Jonah, but about us. Not about Jonah's interaction with God, but, but about our own interactions with God. What kind of people hear God telling them to do something and then just don't do it? What kind of people become spiritually blind to what God is doing around them? To the point where they wander through life and they don't even see God's activity in the world. You see what I'm saying? So as soon as, as, soon as we get there, this mirror turns on. So that's been... Uh, our perspective this whole time. In the book of Jonah, 
um, for lack of a more eloquent way of saying it, has, has probably two ways that we can read it. One way is kind of how we've been doing it. We've been looking at Jonah. We've been looking at his, his sins, ways that he's sometimes faithful, ways that he's often not, and kind of seen that perspective. But we're looking through the lens of Jonah uh, at the text. And through him, uh, we can see our own sin. It's, again, it's the second that we don't like Jonah that we realize that bits of him are inside of every one of us. It's the second that we don't like Jonah that, that we realize our own disobedience, that we realize our own frustrations with God sometimes and how God does things and how God times things out uh, in the world around us. It's the second that we notice Jonah's spiritual blindness that, that we start to realize our own. Uh, in our own world, how we can just go through life day after day and not see uh, what God is doing. So in a way, Jonah is um, not exclusively, but he, he can be read as kind of an exaggerated versions of ourselves, uh, a version of ourselves that makes it apparent uh, about what's going on. A prophet that doesn't listen to God. And, and then as soon as we get that, the book slaps us in the face. And, and we realize the joke has been on us all along. So that's one way of reading it. Again, keeping in mind that Jonah is, is really not the main character of this book. God is the main character of this book. The main, the main point of this book, if you were going to boil it all down, the main point is that we know God's character better after we're done reading it. We know God's grace better. We know how outlandish it is, how, the kind of people God will seek after. We know more about a God that pursues Jonah when Jonah runs away. We know more about a God uh, that, that sends his prophets, his prophet on a mission to fallen and broken people. We know more about a God uh, who rescues Jonah with a big fish. And we know more about a God who puts Jonah back on dry land and doesn't just leave him there, but calls him again. And we know more about a God um, who, who uses Jonah in all of his flawedness to still be an instrument of this massive revival that happens in Nineveh. These are all God's workings. This is God's story. God is tying it together the whole time. So that's option one. We kind of read the book of Jonah, and we see ourselves through Jonah, and we see our sin through Jonah. But there is a second option. What if, what if we weren't Jonah in the book? You know, we, we tend to do this with Scripture, right? We read David and Goliath, and, and the old sermon goes, what, what giants has God sending you to, to fight against? You, you assume you're David. In the story. But what if you're not Jonah? What if you weren't supposed to be Jonah? What if, what if you read the book and you were actually more like the city of Nineveh? You were, you were the city that was far from God. You were the city that, that is lost in their own selfish and sinful ways. As, as God said himself in Jonah chapter 4, the Ninevites didn't know their right hand from their left. 
Now, that didn't mean they didn't know right from wrong, uh, because God is, says he's going to judge them for what they've done wrong. So, so God is not saying they don't know right from wrong. What God is saying is, is that they're leaderless, that they have no one leading them, that there's no one guiding them, that, that they consistently go left when they should be going right. So what if, what if we are a little bit more like the lost, alone, struggling people of Nineveh who are living in this mess of their own making. My favorite Disney Pixar movie, my favorite one, is Wally. Anyone seen Wally? I'm going to tell you a little bit about Wally just for a few minutes. Here's what I like about Wally. I, I, I do this thing. Susan knows it. My kids know it. I love to overanalyze Disney movies in a way that is, quite frankly, not true to the <laughs> original writer's intent. But, but I like to look at, at the Bible and what it says, and I like to look at a Disney movie, and I play this little game in my head where, where I try to say, okay, what, what is this saying uh, in relation to God? So here's my Wally one. Wally is this futuristic movie. It's this movie of a world that is full of trash. And, and humans uh, have trashed this world, and, and since the world is so full of trash, they've moved into outer space, uh, and they've left robots behind to clean up the mess. So that's, that's largely what's going on. They've left these robots behind, and we meet Wally. He's our main character. He's a robot, and he may be, we're not entirely sure, the last functioning robot on this planet full of trash. And Wally spends all of his life, every day, every moment, sorting and stacking and organizing other people's trash. He collects it. He takes it in. He tries to make sense of it. He over-organizes it. The second he thinks he's done, he starts organizing again. But he lives in a world of mess. He lives in a world of trash and... Um, and that's what he does every day. Now, the movie goes on from there. But it sounds a little bit like Nineveh to me. It's this world of sin. It's this world of pain. It's this world of hurt. It's this world that we all have also inherited. And, and sometimes in life, it feels like all we're doing is collecting other people's trash that they've thrown our way trying to make sense of it, stacking it up over here in our life, stacking it up over there, and the, and the world is filling up with all this trash that, that we're just living in. And, and, and we think if we organize it well, that we're making progress. We, we think if we look at our world and we see all the sin, we see all the hurt, and, and if we just take it in and we just, we just store it and we just put it in an orderly fashion, that somehow that's more beautiful than it was before. And that's the only hope a world has without a savior. You can take the pain around you, you can try to make sense of it, and you can try to move on, but your world starts filling up. 
And again, one of the tragic parts with Wally is, is Wally, the robot, he's, he's not able to fix it. He thinks he's doing something by making sense of it, by organizing it, by putting it a certain way, but it's a hopeless endeavor. And to me, I, I, that's how I picture the Ninevites. When I say we're like the Ninevites, maybe, just maybe in the story that we are the Ninevites, it's, it's because we're living in a world of other people's pain. We're living in a world of other people's hurt. Since, since the fall of humanity, we've just been swimming in this soup of, of mess and hurt. And some of us are better at organizing it than others. Congratulations. <laughs> you, uh, I mean, that, that's it. If that's the hope, that's a terrible hope. So the question then becomes, if we are Nineveh, then who is Jonah? We're not Jonah, and, and we're Nineveh. We're, we're the people that are in pain, or the people that are in hurt. Then who is Jonah? And this sermon is about how Jesus is so much better of a Jonah than Jonah was. There is a Savior. There is one that enters in to the mess. There is one that comes into our lives, and, and he didn't run away first. He ran to you. He, he, didn't, he didn't look at, at your life, look at your world, look at your city, look at, look at your... Ninevite army and your, your, your supposed strength and your supposed power and say, I'm not going to them. Jesus is a true and a better Jonah. He always obeys his Father's will. He left the glories of heaven on mission to us on mission to each one of us. He gave up comfort to come to us. He laid down his privilege to come to us. The sinless one came into the world to save the sinful ones. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't, he didn't come and then say, get your stuff together. How about you organize this better? And, and then once you get this organized well enough, then I'll die for you. It's ridiculous, right? But th that's what we think. We think like, like Jesus is going to come in and say, well, once you get past 51% on your organization efforts here, uh, then you're worthy to come to me. That's just not biblical. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't hear the message and, and run away. He didn't get on the boat and sail the other direction. He, he didn't need uh, the fish to swallow him. He didn't need this moment of coming back, and he certainly didn't show up and, and give us uh, the minimum effort on a five-word sermon and then leave and then sit outside the walls of our city and say, okay, God, you know, strike them down now. That's not the good news of the gospel. Jonah wouldn't even go to the Ninevites to point them to God. 
But Jesus has reached the nations with love and peace and mercy and grace. He came to us full of compassion. He came to us full of kindness. He gave up everything, including his own life, that we might be saved. there is a, a way, and I don't think it's not true, but that you can read the book of Jonah and you can say this, this is about God and this is about Jonah. And, and like we've been doing in the series, you turn on the mirror and you see something about yourself. That, that's true. That, that's good. But there is this other way to look and to say, maybe I'm not Jonah after all. <laughs> Maybe if I'm vulnerable enough with myself, maybe I realize that, that I wasn't a prophet. That I, I wasn't the one who, who God called and said, I'm going to use you as the rescue effort to go out and save the world. Maybe we're a whole lot more like the city that, that is in need. The city that is hurting, the city that, that needs a savior to come. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that we didn't get Jonah. The wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus came, and he was so much better. And, and he, not, he didn't just preach a, a, a word of condemnation upon us and then run away and, and then hope that we got, we got smited by God, but he came preaching forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. And then while we were still in the midst of it, he died for our sins so that we could live in a right relationship with God. So that, so that the trash that we've been stacking up and trying to make sense of, that, that we realized that that wasn't the point all along. We didn't need to organize it better. We needed to be forgiven. We needed to walk in, in forgiveness. John 3, verses 16 through 17. Some of the most quoted scripture in any church around the world, and for very good reason. But again, listen to the words. These are the words uh, to you this morning. It says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is truly wonderful wonderful news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. Go out and spread the good news. What, what is the good news? The good news is this. Jesus did not run from us. He didn't turn away from us in our time of need. He ran to us. He didn't, he didn't come in and, and give just enough information and then step outside and say, okay, now God finish them off. Jonah did. 
Jesus came to us and he lived alongside his people. He felt what it meant to be human. He felt the pain and he felt the hurt and he felt the world that we all know and that we all experience every day. And, and he lived alongside of us and he taught. And, and not only did he teach and then, and then leave, he taught and then he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, to still be with us. He's not even sitting outside the city now. <laughs> He's with us. He's with his church. And he died on the cross for our place. I'm going to end with this. I know some of you like this. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Some of you love homework. I can just tell. There's an excitement in the room. Uh, yes, homework. All right. To all your teachers out there. Here's your homework assignment. Sometime this week, maybe today, I want you to just quiet yourself, find a space, quiet yourself, take out a sheet of paper, make two columns. One side, Jesus, and the other side, Jonah. And I just want you to list the difference. And, and I want you to realize that, that sometimes, I, I don't know about your own upbringing, but there's times growing up in the church that Jesus sounded a lot like Jonah. That, that it was like this Jesus that, that came to us, but came uh, kind of with a chip on his shoulder, came, came to judge the world. Um, we, we need to get these categories right here <laughs> uh, because we don't have a Jonah. Thank God. Literally, thank God. We have Jesus who came to us. So, here, so your assignment is make these two columns, and I want you to list uh, ways that Jesus is better than Jonah. What, what are areas that Jonah in his book uh, fails, and, and how does Jesus do that well? What are areas that Jonah falls short, as we all fall short? Uh, and what are ways that, that Jesus fulfills that and does that better in, in a more true way? And then the biggest part of the assignment is, is I want you to take time to pray to God. To thank God that, that we don't have to just live in Nineveh but that we have a Savior that came to us, that we have a Savior that, that meets us right where we're at, even if we're still organizing the pain and the hurt of the world, even if we're still trying to make sense of and, and, and put it stuff in nice, clean boxes and stack it uh, mentally over there, uh, that, that actually what we can do is we can bring it to the cross. And, and it's not just going to be stuck in the attic any longer, but we can bring it to the cross and, and it'll go away, that, that it'll be forgiven, that it'll be released, that, that we can live in this new relationship with, with Jesus, but also a new relationship with the world around us, a, a relationship of hope, a relationship that seeks out others and, and is able to say, I found something. How many times do we hear that in the gospel? Somebody comes to Jesus and they go back to their community and they're like, I found someone. And it's going to change your life. We are called to be those people. 
and I think we will be those people. But, but we won't be those people if we're still organizing. We, we won't be those people if we're still trying to make sense of, of the other pain that people have dumped on us and the other hurt. And, that, and that's not to say it wasn't real. It was absolutely real. But it also is to say that it doesn't have to be permanent. And that we have a Jesus who, who doesn't run from us, but is running towards us.